Hello, friends, and welcome to our six-week Skillful Living teaching series. My name is Venerable Tarpa. Uh, before we begin, let's take a moment to appreciate our handsome and wonderful community gathered here today. Today, I feel fortunate to sit as a member of this kind community in the safety and security of like-minded friends, sharing this present moment with others dedicated to the cultivation of goodness. Today, I'm grateful for the direction and support that this community provides, a community worthy of my time and commitment, a community where my efforts have meaning, purpose, and are appreciated. Today, I'm thankful for this community of awakening, a place to gain the knowledge and skills to improve my life, a family, a home, and a sanctuary for all of us seeking refuge from the storm. And let's remember as conscientious practitioners, we must recognize our responsibility to the world to strive to live skillfully while helping others to do the same, to strive to live in balance and harmony with nature and others, to strive to gain mastery over our minds and embody our true benevolent nature, to expand our hearts and minds, transcending our shared human limitations, to not intentionally harm sentient life or our planet, and to maturely accept and embrace the reality of our situation while striving to improve it. Again, welcome back to our program. This is our second week and third class. In today's class, we're going to be discussing happiness, and we're going to be learning and practicing happiness this whole week. Very exciting class. Um, last week we learned about goodness. What a great way to start. And how it's the foundation for all Buddhist practice and the very foundation for this practice of uh, this program, Skillful Living. Training in goodness is, um, we learned um, in our last class that uh, training in goodness includes the cultivation of the 10 virtuous actions, uh, reciting our daily affirmations and the SBT practices of, of the four expressions of goodness and the four gifts. So I hope everybody did okay on downloading the affirmations and I hope that everybody gave them a try as well as the practices. Uh, I had a couple questions for you. How was your first week of practice everybody? What did you, oh, we got some thumbs up around. What else, what do you think? It was pretty good? Oh, yeah? Was everybody able to download the affirmations and give them a try? Was anybody adverse to the affirmations? Or did you try them out, yeah? Did you find benefit in this week's practice? So we've only been doing skillful living for a week. Have you seen any benefits so far? What do you think? Would you like to share any benefits that you might have gotten? Yeah, I've certainly been calmer, happier, um, content. Um, absolutely, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, nice, that's nice, calming, calming feeling. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Yeah, it's also nice to have a practice, isn't it? 
you know, for a lot of people, we, we're, we're spiritual, we're studying, things like that. But most people just kind of pick and choose, right? They do a little of this, they try to fit some meditation in. It's another thing to actually have a practice. You know, okay, like, here are your morning affirmations. Here are some practices to do throughout the day. It's, it's nice to have that direction, isn't it? Yeah? And, of course, contemplating goodness every day, it doesn't get any better than that, does it? Does anybody feel with a little bit of a sense of innocence? Does anybody, do you feel gooder? Is anybody gooder? <laughs> I don't know if that's a word. Is anybody gooder this week? You feel more virtuous? I, I feel so good that I want to eat myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. Tapa, you, sorry, Tapa, you didn't make us co-host. I sure didn't. Let's take care of that. The Three Musketeers. Now, you all have to debate by, by community on any changes you make or you are now co-hosts. Yoli, did you want to share something? Yeah, I wanted to share that this is the third time that I've taken this um, skillful living class. And you were talking about affirmations and um, what I find about the affirmations is that it, it, uh, helps to motivate me and inspire me. Um, and I also feel that it, it has helped me to reprogram my, or rewire my brain. Um, and it's helped me to um, actually live more consciously. And so I've really been trying very diligently every, you know, every morning I wake up and, and do my affirmations. And I remember when I first did it, I thought, oh my gosh, this is just way too much. And now I'm finding that in my interactions with people, I'm actually using some of those affirmations as my replies, um, you know, and so it's been very helpful uh, for me. Just wanted to share that this is the third time and every time I do it, it becomes stronger and stronger and it helps to motivate and rewire my um, negative or habitual tendencies in a more positive way. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, we, we habituate new qualities, don't we? And so it's one thing to, to read about them and say, yeah, I want to be, be more virtuous and I want to do this and that. It's another thing to actually practice them and embody those qualities. So we, uh, we really do reprogram our mind. I'm a huge proponent of uh, affirmations. They do so much for me. In fact, I think they're probably one of the most powerful practices. And yeah, I find myself also when somebody asks a question, I can, I can use a, a line from an affirmation. Or if I'm having a problem, a certain practice will just pop out, and uh, and your brain kind of knows what tools it needs at different times. Oh, that is lovely, and um, oh, I'm just reading over a couple of questions. Do you think you've created a, uh, a basic foundation of goodness through a week's worth of practice on it? Do you feel like you have some stability in it? And the reason I ask is each week we, we practice these and we use it for a base for the next level. So from this base of goodness, we're going to move on to happiness today. 
Does everybody feel like they, you know, you have a conceptual understanding of what goodness is, right? We did a lot of talking about goodness, not just not just the practicing, but talking about it. And you kind of really understand, well, what is goodness or virtue, wholesomeness, you know? Okay, lovely. So let's move on to today's class. Um, today we are talking about happiness, one of my all-time favorite happy, one of my favorite topics. Um, the Dalai Lama asserts in his wonderful book, um, The Art of Happiness, that the purpose of life is to be happy. Now, when I first read that, I thought, well, that's quite a broad statement and a bold statement. And it makes you kind of scratch your head a little bit. And is that really the purpose of happiness, uh, purpose of life? Um, what about, you know, uh, reaching our potential or family or, or so many other goals that we have? Is happiness really the, uh, the, the purpose of life? Um, and after some contemplation on it, you start to realize that, well, first of all, happiness is a, is a huge word, right? I was having a, a conversation with a friend just a couple of days ago, and, uh, and they said, you know, my mother's always asking me if I'm happy, and I don't even think I know what that question means. You know, what is happiness? And I think we're so inundated with the idea of happiness and all the different forms of happiness that it, it does get to the point where it's just, it becomes quite a mystery and none of us can really pinpoint it. We're hoping to figure that out for today. I'm hoping to give you some clarity into, into this idea of happiness. So the idea is when you really contemplate it, is that the many goals and aims we have in life, I mean, generally we have people wanna be rich, People want to be famous. They want to be TikTok stars. Uh, they want to be influencers nowadays. What an occupation. Uh, people want to be accomplished uh, in sports or music or many other fields. People want to be loved. People want to, be, want to fit in. They want to belong. Um, so when we talk about these things and they say, well, no, those are, the, those are my aims of life. I want to be rich and famous, but actually those aren't, aren't direct aims in themselves because when you ask somebody, well, what would it bring you if you were rich and famous? Why is that your aim? And of course, you always come back to the, to the answer, well, well, if I'm rich and famous, I'll be happy. If I'm accomplished and known for my skills, I'll be happy. If I'm loved, appreciated, I'll be happy. So no matter what aims we're looking at in your life, to be a great meditator, to be a great teacher, whatever it is, ultimately, they're not the end result. The end result is we're all seeking this happiness. And again, what that happiness is, is quite a topic of debate. Um, there's many different forms of happiness. Um, generally, we think of happiness as a state of well-being, right? In the 
In the Buddhist context, happiness is closely related to satisfaction. And um, the satisfaction of attaining what we want while being free from what we don't want. That's the technical definition that, that I would have uh, had to uh, uh, say in my debate classes in the monastery. Happiness is, is attaining what we want and being free from what we don't want. Um, but there are so many Um, is it the is happiness the happiness when somebody hands you a puppy? Tapa, we missed a lot of that. Your video blocked. Yeah, sorry about that. That happens occasionally. Let me just back up to when we talk about uh, so happiness in the Buddhist context is the satisfaction of attaining what we want while being free from what we don't want. But when we talk about happiness, there are so many forms of happiness. Are we talking about the happiness when your favorite song comes on the radio? Or the happiness when a loved one has pulled through in an operation and they're going to be okay? Is it the happiness when somebody hands you a puppy? Or the happiness of your first child being born? Or the happiness on your wedding day? Or is it just the happiness that uh, you don't have to work in your free time, you can watch television all day? There's many kinds of happiness. But ultimately, what we're all looking for is lasting happiness, right? These, these little happinesses come and go. You know, somebody hands us a puppy, that doesn't last very long. We're happy for a while, maybe an hour or so. But what we're looking for when we talk about wanting to be happy, I think we can all agree, we're talking about lasting happiness. We're talking about a, a deeper, more existential happiness. Um, happiness is a spectrum of experience. And uh, again, there's all these different forms of happiness. Um, and it's also on a on a spectrum of uh, evolution. So for human beings, our spectrum of experience of life itself has confusion and suffering on one end and clarity and happiness on the other. So our experiences of things, you know, the, the, the spectrum of them you could say pain at one end and pleasure at the other, right? So in Buddhism, we say suffering and happiness. But it, what it really is, it's a spectrum of confusion and clarity. Now, when we talk about happiness in this spectrum in Buddhism, so we, we go from confusion, suffering, we move into common happiness. Then we move, move into more awakened forms of happiness. 
that, again, are more long-lasting, aren't so contingent upon conditions. But this happiness leads its way up to all the higher qualities of, of nirvana, awakening, enlightenment. These are all aspects of that spectrum. But in Buddhism, when we talk about when we talk generally about happiness, what we're we're talking about is closer to the concept of contentment. Um, contentment commonly is defined as satisfaction with one's situation in life. Often, um, an evaluation arising from our perspective, our view, and it can be actively cultivated and become our default mindset, which we've talked about so far. The center resting point where the mind continuously returns. Having a default mindset of contentment never prevents us from experiencing more intense kinds of happiness, like elation, nor does it prevent us from experiencing meaningful sadness, like when empathizing with others. So I, I think when I first tell people that Buddhism, the goal in Buddhism is more of a contentment, it's a happiness, but it's more of a contentment and satisfaction. I think people feel a little let down and they think, oh, I, I want to do a little better than contentment. I want to live a full life. I want to have some real fun. And But again, contentment is a mindset as our default mindset has a buoyancy and the idea is that with all our ups and downs with all you know to get on a roller coaster and have just a wonderful time or in in sad situations with the passing of a loved one you know we can experience this full range of emotion but the idea is that we can recover from them quickly and we can bring ourselves back to this default mindset, which is a content and satisfied happiness, right? This is kind of the Buddhist aspect of it. I remember when I first learned this, I felt a little, a little bummed out. I thought, uh, oh, I don't want to be content. I want to be really happy and blissed out and joyful. But... Uh, but though all of those qualities are still available to you. When you learn how to be content, you're not, you're not denying yourself anything. You're just bringing stability into it. And you're, you're, to have a default mindset of contentment means that you don't have a default mindset of, of negative qualities, of self-doubt, of, of uh, all these, all these irritating qualities of ourselves. And so um, this is kind of the idea that we're working with. Um, and I wanted to do a little bit of an exercise to explain and show everybody how this works. So um, this isn't a meditation, this is just an exercise. So begin by closing your eyes and taking a few mindful breaths, get comfortable. And focus on the peace of this present moment. That within this present moment on this Zoom call, 
um, nothing needs to be done. All your needs are met. <clears throat> we're happy we have beautiful homes we're all sitting in. Breathe into it and to and begin to generate a sense of contentment. And we a lot of times we do this through appreciation. You know, try to appreciate this very moment. We're among these beautiful our beautiful friends in the Sangha. What a wonderful time right now. So to help you can imagine sitting in front of a warm fire with a hot cup of coffee or tea. <laughs> That's what I think about when I think about contentment. My feet up, it's snowing outside. I'm all warm and bundled up. I don't think anything makes you more content than that. Now, while abiding in that contentment, I want you to turn your thoughts towards something pleasant. Like the smile of a child's face. Or maybe some a good deed that you did. Now focus on it until you get an actual felt experience of joy. If you look closely, you may notice that beneath your joy, your initial contentment is still there. That first quality, it's still there as a base underneath the joy. Now, take a few breaths and come back to that initial feeling of contentment. You're in that chair in front of the fireplace with some spiced apple cider, nice and hot. It's gently snowing outside. There's no work to do. The roads are all blocked from the snow and nobody has to go to work. Next, let's do the opposite and turn your thoughts towards something unpleasant, like the suffering of a child. Focus on it until you get a felt increase in sadness. Nothing sadder than the suffering of a child. And again, if you look closely, you can notice that beneath your sadness, your initial contentment can still be felt. Through this exercise, you can glimpse that with proper training, Contentment can become a nearly constant state of mind, often despite the challenges of life. Our default mindset, where the mind naturally returns. Now slowly open your eyes. Were you able to experience how contentment can be felt in both of those situations? Is it a good exercise? Should we leave it in the program? I think yeah, I thought it was. It works for me. It also shows us something a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, when you practice meditation and these things, you start to develop a much more subtle introspection and awareness. And you start to notice funny things about yourself. 
And one of them is, is that we rarely experience single emotions. You know, at the beginning, when we have a gross kind of a feeling about our emotions, we think that, oh, I'm happy, I'm sad. I'm... But when you look deeper, you find that it's rare that a single emotion happens, only in an intense situation, like intense anger or something. But generally, so an example would be, you're hoping to get that new job, right? And you get the you get the phone call. We're going with you, Dennis. You're awesome. You got the job, and you're so excited. And you hang up the phone. Yippee! You're telling everybody. But if you look into that, it's not just happiness or jubilation. Underneath that, there's also worry, right? Because as soon as you get the job, you start worrying. What's it going to be like? How's the boss going to be? Will I be able to do the job? Yeah? Maybe there's a little sadness because you're not going to be able to watch Netflix all day long anymore. <laughs> but it doesn't matter what they are. But it's really interesting how if you look deeply, we are, we're almost always experiencing a spectrum of emotions. And we notice certain things. The same is true with intentions. And maybe intentions is even a better, a better one. Because, well, we, we, have an, we could have the intention to be generous, to do something nice for someone. But like many of you know, there's always that other intention that maybe I'll get something out of it, right? <laughs> I'm going to look good by doing this good act, right? So intentions, often we have multiple intentions happening. I remember uh, this first became clear to me when people started asking me why I became a monk. And I realized I had so many different intentions, some better than others. <laughs> some were angelic, other ones were, weren't so angelic, you know. And, you know, I, I, uh, I wanted to become a monk because I, I fell in love with Buddhism and I wanted to further my understanding and do it for a career. I also wanted to help others, to devote my life to helping others. But I'd be lying if I didn't say there were sneaky other other intentions there that I, that I would not like to admit to, like being a fancy monk, being a special guy in the robes. <laughs> you know? Now, to me, those were very teeny ones, right? They weren't really my intentions. But for an aware person, you notice that they're there. And I don't worry about that. I don't beat myself up about those things. Because I know the, the stronger intentions are the ones we follow, right? But this is true in a lot of situations. Sometimes it's quite comical, right? Sometimes maybe you're having your, uh, your daughter and grandkids over to the house and you'll notice that your intention, you might have multiple intentions. Like, well, it's something I need to do, but I want to do this or that. We're, we're quite interesting beings, I tell you, human beings. So um, that's a, a fascinating aspect of, of this whole idea of um, happiness and, and uh, how our default mindset works. Um, are there any questions up to this point? So um, we, in this class, our, the Skillful Living program works a lot like a book club. Um, 
everybody does the reading for the week. And as you know, the, the reading is quite, is, is quite deep and quite dense. And I couldn't possibly cover it all within a class. So I try to, to, to do a little cap over it, a review of it. I also try to give you some information that isn't in the text, especially contextually. I like to, to, to tell you what schools of Buddhism uh, believe this or don't believe it. Um, but also, uh, it's your job to go through the text and uh, see if there's any questions in a lot of that material. And this is the time to address those things. So we're always open to any kind of questions. You can also post the questions on our WhatsApp groups. Okay, wonderful. Let's move on then. Um, so beyond happiness, you know, so we've talked about contentment. We've talked about kind of a common happiness. We've talked about more of an awakened happiness. Common happiness is more is more generated through, I'd say more generated by external things, but it's just as generated by, by internal emotions and uh, stimuli. But let's just say more average things where awakened happiness is um, is different. It's, it's based on uh, the Dharma is a great example. You know, when you when you start to practice Dharma and you start to generate happiness from your from your practice, you find that it has a different quality to it. And one of the qualities to it is that it's not so conditioned. It's not so dependent on other stimuli, other events. The happiness that comes from practice is created within us and within our virtue, within our idea of, uh, of goodness. And it truly is a happiness that is long-lived. It's, uh, it's not as superficial as the, the common happiness. And so um, this is where uh, gaining this contentment, satisfaction, happiness in Buddhism begins. It begins in our practice. And, and as you practice, you'll start to notice this more and more, that, um, that this dharmic happiness from our practice uh, doesn't need conditions. You don't need somebody to hand you a puppy to feel it. You, uh, it arises because uh, the way you feel about yourself and the situation, a lot of it arises from a virtuous pride that you're very happy that you're you're helping yourself and you're moving in a positive direction that you're that you're uncovering and accessing your potential and your true value. Um, so, but beyond that, beyond that, happiness is a quality called joy. And it is a magical quality. And I think I'm supposed to show you a meme right now. Here it is. This is a favorite quote of mine for ages and ages. As one of the seven factors of enlightenment, joy is not only a fruit of awakening, but it's also a prerequisite. James Baraz. And I could not agree with this more. And this is at the heart of SBT. We use joy to great to create greater joy. We use common joy to create authentic joy. And so I'll post this on our social media after class. 
And um, the seven factors of enlightenment, just for your uh, information, is mindfulness, investigation, effort, joy, tranquility, focus, and equanimity. Joy is described in the sutras in many different ways, and I think they're, they're beautiful descriptions. So joy can be described as shining contentment. So we have contentment, but then we have shining contentment. And we actually have a practice in the Skillful Living series called Shining. So it's kind of interesting how they all come together. How about this one? Spiritual radiance. Isn't that a lovely term for joy? Spiritual radiance. Because it really does radiate from us, doesn't it? When you're in a state of real joy, you know, your, your face lights up. It's like a person who falls in love. Everybody in the room can see it written all over their face, right? Oh, it's, it's amazing. And then we have innate joy. Innate meaning that it's part of our true nature, right? It's a quality that's already there. We have that joy. And a very popular one is appreciative joy. And it's kind of funny that this is another practice that we do in Skillful Living. We'll be doing next week, appreciation. We have a practice called awakening through appreciation. And lastly, a vibrantly alive contentment. So I think more and more you're starting to get the idea of contentment. And then you're starting to get this idea of joy is this next level of contentment. So contentment can be our default mindset. And I almost misspoke because joy can also be our default mindset. But even if we have a common uh, uh, contentment, we, we can reach this level of joy. And um, joy arises more from inner feelings of extreme well-being and satisfaction. Authentic joy has an existential kind of aspect to it. It, it comes from our being, the way we feel. Again, we can understand it conceptually, but this authentic joy is experiential. And we've all, I'm sure we've all experienced it when things, some external phenomena has happened, the birth of your first grandchild. I mean, there's so many cases of joy. But um, in Buddhism, we're talking about, again, a different kind of joy. This is a joy about how wonderful it is to be you, you know, when you feel really comfortable in your own skin, this extreme sense of well-being. And it arises from us. Uh, joy like goodness are asserted to be aspects of our true nature. Meaning, when we peel away all the afflictions and neuroses and human limitations and all the trauma from all the terrible experiences in our life that we got pushed on on the playground when we were in fourth grade, when you peel all that away, Buddhism asserts we have this beautiful benevolent nature and we just have to uncover it to get to it and uh, we've had people that uh, we've had debates on this idea and always the answer to the debate is that this isn't something you have to believe this is something that you can experience 
I know it to be true through my practice. And the, the fact is when you're in deep meditation, and again, you're in meditation, all of those afflictions and things fall away as you become very calm. You develop great clarity. And as all those things fall away, you notice the only thing that's left is are these benevolent qualities, our compassion, goodness, joy, well-being, satisfaction, right, comfort, contentment. That, that's what remains. And every time you do it in practice, the same qualities remain. No matter what you peel away, when you get to it, those qualities are always the same. So you can really really experience your own true nature through practice. Um, and um, within early Buddhist scriptures, there is a stronger focus on joy than today's traditions. Um, it seems like as Buddhism progressed, it kind of naturally kind of got more religious and heavier. And uh, especially with the work of Bodhagosa, who many would say is the grandfather of modern Theravada Buddhism. Uh, he really brings a bit of heaviness into his presentations. And um, the original uh, Nikaya scriptures, they're, uh, they're much more joyful. They're much more open, less dogmatic. And that's one of the uh, things that makes us secular Buddhists, that we, uh, we really appreciate those early Buddhist uh, scriptures. They call them the EBTs, the early Buddhist uh, tradition. And um, so, uh, at, so and at peak levels of shining contentment and appreciative joy, which we've talked about, I love those terms, shining contentment and appreciative joy. At peak levels lies the experience of unconditional bliss. This accompanies with joy and it's experienced as waves of euphoria that radiate and wash over you that's my description of how it feels the Theravada call it rapture and they'll say things like all oh, the hair on your arm stands up it's it's quite an experience the reason they call it unconditional bliss as I just explained that this kind of joy isn't contingent upon, upon conditions you don't need, in fact, it doesn't arrive from, arise from external phenomena. It arises because of the way you feel about your own being. It's truly existential, right? It's about yourself and existence itself, right? So this, uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, they call it unconditional, but clearly there are some conditions. You know, you, you have to work in a, in a practice to get there, but there are times where it just arises out of nowhere for no, for no reason at all. Sometimes I'll be driving in a car with a friend, most miserable day in, of the year, snowing, raining, whatever, dark, cloudy, and this bliss would just, for no reason, just wash over me. And I say, oh my God, it's such a beautiful day. And people <laughs> look at me like I'm out of my mind. So, um, uh, bliss is a wonderful, wonderful quality. And, um, and it's actually the uh, heart of the tantric path. The, the heart of the tantric path is to reach is clarity and bliss. Those are the two things that, that, that we aspire to. Um, so a question, um, 
how can uh, oftentimes people ask me how can we be happy in a world full of so much suffering what do you think of that anybody have an answer for that how is it possible for us to be happy to have a default mindset of happiness while we live in such a world of suffering yeah francine hi so the concept of suffering is impermanence you know is sometimes um in different traditions they really want you to sit with that suffering and for me when it really changed was when i twisted suffering as opportunity right so that's where the growth can change and that you can really see an opportunity that comes out of that um which puts a little bit of positivity in the doom and gloom the things don't happen we do the same buddhism does the same at uh, at a point we we realize that suffering is a natural part of existence but since we're all suffering we try to look at it and, and see what opportunities it, it gives us and the fact that all of the our most sought after qualities really arise from our suffering right maturity compassion there's there's so many qualities patience they all arise from this sense of suffering so the buddha would agree with you miss francine she moves to the top of the class thank you so but how do we how do we remain how do we remain happy in a world of suffering what was the thing is well the world there is suffering in the world but there's nothing i i can personally do immediately to resolve that so it's about where i am and in the moment where I my living environment, etc., influences I can have within that environment, and trying to maintain, you know, my happiness and contentment. That it's a good environment that hopefully maybe would help others, you know, you know around me. Um, essentially, that that's one of the frustrations I think I've often had when I see how bad things are in the world. The the anger and frustration that comes from that. Realizing there's, there's nothing I can do, you know, for that I can only be in control. Well, I'm not even in control, but I can only look at my more immediate. And you're right, Brian. And can I sum it up? You know, in one word, acceptance. Yeah. Right. We we accept that that this is the world that we're born into. We might not like it. Nobody says we have to like it, but as Buddhists, we accept it. We accept that the ordinary world of samsara is a world of suffering and there's always going to be suffering nothing's going to change you know we can we can awaken and we can we can get ourselves in better and better states of mind and we can uh, reduce our suffering we can help others reduce their suffering but as far as worldwide human human uh, and animal beings you know suffering is just always going to be there we can we can make it better though. I didn't want to sound like a nihilist. We can improve it, but suffering is a natural part of of life. And I, I'm with Brian. You know, sometimes it's overwhelming. One of the things that I do is I often look back on the past, and think about how much worse we suffered in the past. You know, um, medical problems, pandemics. Like when the pandemic hit, 
you know, it was such a shock to everyone. And right away, I went to the past and I said, well, it's not as bad as World War II. It's not as bad as World War One. So, um, yeah, but the first thing we have to do is accept it, right? And then through accepting it, then we can move forward uh, to do something about it. Um, one of the, we, we've often had a debate in our, in our group for, um, for a bodhisattva. And a bodhisattva is a, um, kind of like a Buddhist saint, a high practitioner. And the debate was, what's the mind of a bodhisattva? Does a, does a bodhisattva, is he happy all the time? Or is he crying all the time? Because he's supposed to be an extraordinarily compassionate being, feeling the suffering of the world, right? There was a story, um, there was a story one of my teachers told me, and he said uh, there was a, a teacher who had, who had three great students, and a friend of the teacher comes by asking about the three great students. And he said, well, what are they doing and how are they doing? And he, the teacher says, oh, they're so wonderful. He said, one has started uh, Dharma centers all over the world, and he's teaching the Buddha's words. The other one has uh, set up hospitals all over the world, healing people. And his friend says, well, what about the third student? And he says, oh, the third one, my greatest of all students. He sits in a cave and cries all night and day. <laughs> so that was the kind of the debate. But it, the debate is, is misinformed. It's dualistic. It's, it's not binary. It's not either or. It's both. You know, for you, when you're thinking about getting off work and going out with friends, you're happy. But in a split second, if you change your mind to something miserable, you're sad, right? So the Bodhisattva, his, his feelings change depending on where he's focused, just like with us. But again, the way we can create a, a long sense of a, a lasting happiness is by changing our default mindset. And for, because it's important to, to think about serious things. It's important to empathize with people that are suffering. But the point is, is to be able to, to, to not be attached to it, right? Remember, we're always saying the problems in this world are not the things themselves. It's our relationship to things. You know, alcohol is not a problem. It's your relationship to alcohol or drugs or food, <laughs> whatever it may be. And so uh, the idea is gaining control over this. So we get that, we, we work with our default mindset and we learn how to be content and we, we habituate that until it's quite strong. And then regardless of these things that we focus on, we always come back to that contentment. And this is you experience through practice. This is my experience of practice. No matter what happens, I could always easily come back to this default mindset. And so we practice and we feel like we're practicing way up here. So uh, let's say, let's use for an example, uh, patience. And we're, we're trying to practice this high level of patience everywhere we go. And we kind of keep failing. 
you know, every time you get in line at the store, you still break out in a sweat because it's taken too long and you're mad at the cashier and you feel like you're failing. But what you don't see is that default mindset is being habituated and it's slowly becoming more patient. Sometimes it's invisible. So a lot of these qualities that we're working on in Buddhism, though we feel like we're working up here, we're actually working down here on an almost invisible level. And then many of you probably have noticed that at a certain time, there'll be a situation where you look back and you notice how much you've changed. And all of a sudden you go, oh, you know, I used to really react strongly when that happened. This is the changing of your default mindset. For, for Buddhist practitioners, this is related to mind and mental factors, our mental factors. And that's exactly what we're, that's what we're trying to awaken. That's what we're trying to enlighten or purify, probably the best word. We're trying to purify that, which is uh, our interpretation, our projection of the world itself, meaning our reality itself. We purify our reality. And I'm going on too much. God, who wants to hear this guy talk so much? Um, and uh, and should we? Some people say that we shouldn't just settle for contentment. Does anybody feel that way? That's how I felt when I first heard that contentment. I don't want to just be content. I want to live in an outrageous life, full of wonders. Right, Carlos. <laughs> I want a miraculous life. Any thoughts? What do you think, Sherub? I think there's a factor of, of what we do with our lives. It's no point me sitting on the mountaintop being content. I think I, I would like to be able to give something into the world to make the world a little bit better. Relieve some of the suffering out there. Why are why does one negate the other? It doesn't. I think it's both. I, I think I think you can be content and you can and you can get down and dirty with the suffering as well. You don't have to um, you don't have to uh, ignore it. I think you can do both. Yeah. And, and, and as mentioned before, contentment doesn't stop us from experiencing these heightened states of happiness. I used to think that. I used to think that contentment meant I couldn't have a high uh, uh, elation, but at the same time, I couldn't have despair. I thought that it was, yeah, I didn't have a choice. And then I realized one day that that's not at all correct. You can be content and you can still have experiences of elation and you can have experiences of depression or sadness or meaningful sadness, which is so important to experience. That's something we, we'd never want to do away with. We want to be able to meaningfully interact with other people and help others, right? And learn from our own, our own sadness. Yeah, thank you, Kathy. Spot on, as they say in England. Michelle, does anybody have any questions or comments? Oh, we do. Donna has a, her hand up. I think. Oh, there, there I go. Okay. 
Um, for me, action after the acceptance of suffering is extremely helpful. And then I can go back to my contentment. But I also think <laughs> there is more beyond contentment. So if I reach that, I can't just stop there. I don't, I don't believe I can just stop there. What is it? I don't know. I do. <laughs> Tell me. Weren't you paying attention? <laughs> Tell me again. There, there is shining contentment. Oh, shining contentment. Spiritual okay. radiance, innate joy, appreciative joy, and a vibrant, alive contentment. Joy. Joy. That's what's above. Yeah. And then joy can become our default mindset. It doesn't end though. Then there's something besides joy. I want there to be Nirvana. 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 Okay. Yeah. I think after joy, we run out of words. Okay. <laughs> you know, like super duper joy. What about what about awe and wonder? Those are some great ones. Should we make a list? What other ones? Super duper happiness. I'd just like to say as well, from the default mindset I used to have. Going from there to contentment is wonderful. <laughs> it truly well, is. Yeah, it's so it's not a case of thinking, you know, oh no, it's only contentment. It's a case <laughs> of, wow, I finally got contentment in my life. <laughs> well said. And actually, yeah, people think somehow you're losing something by being content, where actually you're not, you're gaining something, right? Because the, the sphere of elation and depression or, or sadness are still there, but you're gaining this lovely contentment as a default mindset that's there. So we're only gaining. And also, we're giving you freedom of choice. I will, I'll repeat this throughout the whole Skillful Living series because oftentimes when we, we talk about changing our perspective, people often feel that they're gonna lose something like mindfulness practice, right? People say, well, I don't want to be mindful all the time. Like they think mindfulness is going to take, take over and they won't have a choice. And that's completely wrong. We're just giving you more tools. We're not changing you. We're giving you a tool. It's up to you to see if you like the tool. You know, you always have freedom of choice. We're just giving you more choice. We're giving you more freedom, more liberation. We're giving you more choices about how you want to live your life and the control and uh, mastery of your mind in order to actually do it. So we're just given. This is this whole thing is a big practice of generosity. Nobody's losing nothing. Thank you, Phil. That was wonderful. Yeah, I like my new default mindset much better than my old one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I could say that every year of practice. Yeah, it just gets better and better. Yeah, it's like swapping out cars. Well, I could move to the next newest brand of Lexus, but I'll lose my old car. Nobody says that, right? You're interested in the new car. 
It's the same with this. Okay. Hey, with that said, I'm running a little bit late. I like to try to be punctual in the classes. Can I just uh, add a little conclusion here? I like to just repeat some of the main uh, points to dig them into your brains and help habituate some of these ideas. Um, happiness in Buddhism is closely related to satisfaction. The satisfaction of attaining what we want while being free of what we don't want. Happiness is a spectrum of emotion. Happiness in Buddhism is closer to contentment that can be actively cultivated and become part of our default mindset, the center resting point where the mind continuously returns. Beyond happiness and contentment is what, Donna? Joy, described as shining contentment, spiritual radiance, innate joy and appreciative joy, a vibrant, alive contentment, which is asserted as uh, an aspect of our true nature. At peak levels of shining contentment and appreciative joy lies the experience of unconditional bliss, experienced as waves of euphoria that radiate and wash over you. At the highest levels, Buddhism asserts that these are these experiences of joy and bliss are the highest possible pleasure that can be experienced by human beings. I haven't gotten to this level yet, but they say, oh, the pleasure is greater than anything you've known so far. In fact, for monks, they take vows to not be addicted to the pleasures of meditation. And this is often in, in the jhana meditations that monks aren't supposed to get too attached to it because it's just so pleasurable. That, that's a good reason to start meditating, right? Um, so in tomorrow's class, we're going to be uh, going over lesson four, the cultivation of happiness. So today we learned about happiness. Tomorrow we are going to put it into practice and teach you how to experience happiness, authentic, genuine happiness, contentment, satisfaction. Until then, continue your practice of goodness, including your daily affirmations, your cultivation of the 10 virtuous acts and the practices of the four expressions of goodness and the four gifts. Always remember that I'm just a click away to help and support you. If you have any questions about your practice, please reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. You can also post your questions to our WhatsApp message boards. We love to have everybody talking about it. So let's end today's teaching with our altruistic affirmation. May all be healthy, may all be prosperous, may all be well, may all be present, free of past regret and future worry. May all abide in constant appreciation, which is a source of great joy and contentment. May all realize their true nature and the true nature of reality, which is awakening. Thank you all for coming. Remember the SBT community was created for one purpose and one purpose only, to support you, the practitioner. Please let us know if there's anything we can do to help you on your path to awakening. And today, of course, we all know that this is our big retreat day, so we have other things planned. And let me just take a quick look at my schedule. And um, in about an hour, we have our purification ceremony, which is also our vow ceremony. So um, everyone's invited, whether you're taking vows or not, you might find it 
really beautiful. It's full of goodness. You can just see and watch everybody light up as they all take refuge. It's a very short ceremony. We're doing that in about one hour from now. And then to end the meditation, after that, we're going to be doing the last meditation, which is loving kindness meditation. We always finish our retreat with that. So exciting stuff happening. I hope everybody's enjoying the retreat as much as I am. Uh, thanks everybody for joining me. I'll see you back here in about an hour. Bye bye. Lovely. Thank you, Thakur. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye bye. Sure.